Thank you for the Lord that came. I mean, ain't it wonderful that he left heaven and came to earth and took our place on Calvary. Amen. What a blessing that is. Wow. Isaiah chapter 26, Isaiah chapter 26, secrets of successful living, secrets of successful living. And that's what we've been dealing with. And we're going to start on another issue or topic, if you will, uh, concerning that. We've talked about a number of things along the way today. I want to talk to you and uh, over the next few weeks, really, how to experience perfect peace. Well, that's a good one, right? I mean, if we're going to have successful Christian living, we're going to need to find that peace, the peace of God. Amen. And so we're going to look a little bit at that somewhat and see if we can't learn something along the way. But we're going to begin in Isaiah chapter 26. We're going to begin reading in verses 1 and finish in verse 3. And then we'll uh, kind of use that as a springboard to get moving along here today. Um, kind of tonight will probably be more of a kind of a background a little bit, kind of give you kind of the context and the setting of the passage somewhat, but we'll go from there and see how it turns out. We'll see how far we get, but that's all right, and uh, we'll kind of continue with this till we uh, really get to the, 
uh, meat of the matter and deal with the issues, but boy, I'll tell you what, it's a tremendous topic, how to experience perfect peace. Let's go ahead and begin reading verse 26. I'll read aloud, you read silently with me. It says, in that day shall the song be sung in the land of Judah. Now, I, 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 just for the sake of clarity, when you see any time in the Bible, in that day, when you see in that day, it's pointing to a, a different day, a millennial day, the millennium. Okay, it's talking about a different day. Now, again, I, I don't, I'm not going to take the time to go into all of that. So basically what I guess I'm saying is, doctrinally speaking, we're going to see here that this passage sets in the millennium. I'm not saying that it doesn't have application in the, in the past or in the present, but the truth is, is that when we see in that day, he's saying, now listen, I'm cluing you in right now, that what I'm going to talk about has something to do with the future. This is prophetical, what I'm going to share here. Now, there's no doubt that it was historical, and there's no doubt that it has an, uh, an inspirational application to you and I, but doctrinally, it find, we find it in the future. Okay, so anyway, as we read, it says, In that day shall this song be sung in that, the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. Open ye the gates, that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth may enter in. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty good passage when it comes to dealing with peace. Amen? I mean, now, that, that, there's a mouthful right there, and we're going to spend some time dealing with that issue. But again, although, like I said, although doctrinally this may be said in the future, the truth is it has present application for you and I. I don't know that you can somehow go, uh, you know, bypass that passage or skip over it in any way as a believer. I mean, what an amazing passage. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. What a wonderful promise. And as we're going to learn here, as we look at the passage and we begin to uh, kind of uncover the context of this and the, 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 the historical setting of this passage, we're going to see that this was one of the darkest periods of Israel's history. And in this passage, he's saying, in the midst of the darkest period of Israel's history... Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. I'm sure that each and every one of us have had some pretty dark days, and if you haven't, you're going to. And the fact is, is that it's not going to necessarily be in the good times that we're really thinking so much about this passage. Probably be in the, in the difficult times. It's going to be in the darkness. It's going to be when the clouds are overshadowing us. That's when this kind of passage really makes a difference. That's when being a Christian really matters. That's when having Christ in our life and knowing that he is there for us, if we'll stay ourselves on him. Boy, I'll tell you, it's important. So let's go ahead, have a word of prayer, and then we'll kind of give a little bit of background and so we can understand what's really going on in Israel, why this passage really is so significant, and how it applies to us in one way or another. Father, we come to you. We thank you for the privilege that we have to gather here tonight in your house. And Lord, it seems that in a day when so many are obviously preoccupied and so busy and so active in so many things, it seems that the church at times is getting left behind. That other things are always more important. But Lord, tonight there's a group of people that have gathered here tonight 
with the express purpose of gleaning from your word, growing in your word, and hearing from you. And they want you to speak to them. I pray you'd do that tonight. May you encourage us. We need you. We love you, and we thank you for the privilege to be here. But, Lord, now open up your word tonight and open up our hearts and our ears that we might hear from heaven. We'll thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Again, I said that this is a wonderful promise, and it was a promise that was given in the darkest period of Israel's history. I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 1, would you please? Isaiah chapter 1. We're going to do just a little bit of a Bible study and kind of, kind of understand where Israel was at this time. And it helps us because in understanding that, we're going to realize how valuable this particular passage is in the life of any uh, child of God or any Israelite that existed even. Notice what's going on here in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. It says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I think it's important. I don't know why, but this is just interesting to me. He says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I don't know about you, but isn't it kind of strange that God has to remind us and God has to tell us to listen to Him? I mean, think about this. For the Lord hath spoken. Man, I don't know about you, but when I was a young child and, uh, and I was in the home, it didn't matter where my dad was. If I heard his voice, I snapped too. What's he saying? Because if he's calling for me, if he's speaking out for me, if he's telling me to come here, I better jump. Man, that voice was a unique voice. That voice was a voice that caused me to, again, go to attention. Even before I was in the military, I knew what that was. And it's interesting to me that in this passage he says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. Why? For the Lord has spoken. You would think that wherever God speaks, whenever he speaks, we'd automatically snap to attention. But instead he sees the need to say, Oh, wait a second. Wait a second now. At the beginning of the book of Isaiah, he's saying, Now listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. You better give ear. Listen up now. God's spoken. Because obviously they didn't hear him. I'm going to tell you what he's going to say. What he said then is what he's telling us. Notice he goes on to say, I have nourished and brought up children. Again now, hear, O heavens, and, hear, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. So now the man of God, the prophet of God, is going to share with the people of God what God has said. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, the ass his master's crib, But Israel doth not know. My people doth not consider. Ah, sinful nation. A people laden with iniquity. A seed of evildoers. Children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Wow. Note their sad state here. Think about it. These are God's people. These are the same ones that he has delivered out of Egypt. These are the same ones that crossed the Red Sea supernaturally as he parted it. These are the same ones that he took through the wilderness for 40 years and ultimately led them to the promised land where they occupied and God blessed them. Note their sad state. We see in verse 2 that there's rebellion toward the Lord. 
What a sad commentary that is, isn't it? When God's children and God's people are rebellious. It's an amazing thing when we look at families and someone says, man, I'm having a time with my teenager. I'm having a time with my kids. It's been difficult. It's been rough. Why is it so rough? Why is it so difficult? Because they're rebellious. Oh, it's not because they're getting straight A's. It's not because they're obeying mom and dad that it's so difficult and so rough. It's not because they have the right attitude and the right spirit. No, it's because they have a rebellious spirit. And in this particular case, he's talking about Israel, God's people, and they have a rebellious spirit. What a sad state. You know, it's bad enough when kids, it's bad enough when teenagers... It's bad enough when young adults have a rebellious spirit. It's even worse when the adults have it. And in this case, there were many adults that had a bad spirit, a rebellious spirit. Not only that, in verse 3, notice, he goes on to say, The ox knoweth his owner, the ass his master's crib, but Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. Hey, they have for, they have for, uh, their forgetfulness and their neglect of God is seen here. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, I, I don't know, but the picture is amazing. The ox knoweth his owner. Now, we don't have oxen running around in our yards anymore. I don't know about you. I, I don't have an ox. So I really can't identify with an ox that knows his owner. But I have had dogs, although my dogs never seem to know its owner. But the fact was is that, is that most of us, if we've ever had a dog or something, that dog knows its owner, doesn't it? I mean, why? Because that owner feeds it, and that owner houses it, and that owner takes care of it, and that owner meets its needs. And as a result, it knows the voice of its owner, and it knows hey, you, 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 you need to get over to the owner because he's going to take care of you. How sad it is, once again, God's people here. The Bible says here, the ox knoweth his owner. A dumb animal knows his own owner. The ass is master's crib, but Israel doth not know. Israel doesn't even know who I am. And I'm the one that's delivered them. I'm the one that's provided for them. I'm the one that met their every need. And they don't even know me. See their sad state? rebellious, forgetful, and neglectful of God. And finally, in verse 4 here, we see here, amazingly, all sinful nation of people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have what? Forsaken the Lord. They forsook the Lord. What does it mean to forsake? Amazing. I don't think we even need to describe it. I don't even think we need to explain it. I don't think we need to define that word. They forsook the Lord. And, and if I could say it as simple as I could, they said, forget you. Can you imagine that? Looking God in the face and saying, forget you. Forget you. Just me doing that sends a chill in your spine to some degree. Man, how can you look at me and say that? That seems just so, ugh. 
But we did, they, he says, Israel, my people, my children, they said, forget you, and they forsook me. Oh, wait a second, that's not as where it ends, though. It says, they have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. I don't know about you, but if I, you and I got into a discussion, and we got to talking to one another, and you said something that made perfect sense in the discussion, and I didn't like it because it nailed my side and made me look bad. And I went, forget you. You know what you might be tempted to do? Get angry. Forget you. You go, oh yeah? And you know what happened here? You know, you know why I know that that might get under your skin? Because it got under God's skin, and you know who made you and whose image you're in? And it says here that when they said, forget you to God, they forsook the Lord. They had provoked, he says, the Holy One of of Israel unto anger. By the way, he's the Holy One. And yet they still provoked him. Someone says, oh, well, God's a God of love. He's a holy God. Yes, indeed, but in this case, Israel provoked him unto anger. They are gone away backward. We use the word backslidden. Words, phrases like that and passages like that are the kind of passages that build that thought, that, that mindset of backsliding. They, they've gone backward. In this case, gone away backward. Have you ever tried to love a child that didn't want loved? Did you ever try to reach out and hug a child that didn't want touched? And they kind of... We get that sometimes, especially with our children, maybe in the Sunday schools or in the, the, the classes. Sometimes you'll try to say, now listen, it's all right. Don't touch me. They're going backward. God's reaching out and saying, I love you. I love you and I care about you. Don't touch me. Get away from me. Back up. They're going backwards. These are God's people. This is his nation. Note their sad state. A sinful nation, he says, weighed down with sin, a seed of evildoers, corruptors. Not only note their sad state, but I want you to note their specific sins. Take your Bible now and look over to Isaiah 24 now. We're getting closer now to our passage, but notice chapter 24. I mean, this is the state that we find this nation in as God begins to share with them in chapter 26 this thought of perfect peace. And someone says, how in the world could a nation like that have perfect peace? No, the nation may not, but individuals could. And may I say that it doesn't matter how crazy your home is. Now, if you have something you can do to fix it, and you're one of the ones that can fix it, then that's on you. You better fix it. But the point being is if you are in a place right now that you do not control and you cannot ensure the peace of that place, you can have peace in spite of the fact that there's chaos. You say, I don't believe it. Well, we'll show you here in a minute that there, as we said, notice the sad state of this nation. Yet we're going to find that God promised them that in spite of the state of the nation, 
you as an individual could have peace if you did something. And we'll talk about that something. But note their specific sins. Isaiah 24, verses 5 and 6. The earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof. Because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore hath the curse devoured the earth, and they that dwell therein are desolate. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men left. Wow. Again, we saw their sad state, and now we see some specific sins. Again, I think it's interesting. The earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof. Because they have transgressed. And he goes on to list some things. We'll talk about each of those in a moment. But I want you to notice again how the earth itself is defiled. Let me tell you something. You want to talk about global warming? You want to talk about climate change? You want to talk about how the earth is being destroyed? It's not because of carbon. It is because of sin. Israel was doing the same thing. Right here in the passage, it's clear. The earth is also defiled under the inhabitants there because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. Let me tell you, if the world today would turn their affections toward Jesus Christ, I promise you the earth itself would be in a better state. It says, well, I don't agree with that. You don't agree with it because you're not spiritual. Because the Word of God doesn't matter. If the Word of God mattered and it was the priority and it was authority in your life, you would read it and say, well, there's the answer. The problem is we listen to everyone else and we discard the Bible. It sounds a little bit like Israel. And we come up with our, our, uh, we come up with our, our uh, uh, positions based on what we hear politically, what we hear from other sources outside of the Word of God. Boys, believers, you better be careful that you are not allowing your mind to be corrupted by people who do not believe in this book. Note their specific sins. They transgress the laws. You know, laws are rules established by authority. There are rules established by authority. And you know what rules do? They regulate action. They prohibit, they restrain behavior. That's what rules do. And there is nothing wrong with rules. I'm amazed how many people think there's something wrong with rules when it comes to the house of God, when it comes to the children of God. It's funny, but in your house, you have rules. In your schools, you have rules. At your work, you have rules. But when it comes time for the house of God, I can't believe they've got rules. They're so legalistic. What do you mean legalistic? We're just trying to maintain order. What's wrong with order? God is a God of order. Let all things be done decently and in order. That's a good thing. And you know what? Rules are not bad. I'm glad that in my home, as my children grew up, there were rules. And when the rules were broken, there had to be consequences. And unfortunately... And I don't, I say that, I shouldn't have said unfortunately. Good for them, there were consequences. And God has some rules. And those rules 
help to govern our behavior. And those rules help to, they prohibit some things in our lives that would harm and hurt us. Those rules, when broken, have to be consistently dealt with. Because there is no authority if there's no consistency. If I don't think this time I'll be punished for breaking the rule, then I may try to get away with it next time. And if I get away with it the next time, then there might as well not be a rule at all. But rules are not bad things. And in this case, they transgress the laws. You say, what's transgressed mean? Get this. It means to pass over or beyond any limit. So we have this idea of the law, which is a rule established by authority, and it it regulates action. It prohibits and restrains behavior. But now we have this idea of transgressing these laws, meaning to pass over beyond any limit. Do you know what it's saying about the nation of Israel? They went, they had gone too far. They'd gone too far. They had passed over or beyond the moral and ethical limits that God himself had established and set. See, that transgressed is to offend by violating a law. And that law is established, is, 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 is a rule that's established by authority. And that authority is God. And what they did was, is that they went too far. They transgressed the law. But not only do we see this sin of transgressing laws, but he goes on in the passage to say that they've changed the ordinance. Now, an ordinance is is an established rite or ceremony. You know, we know that God has some ceremonies. God has some, some things that he does on a regular basis, some ordinances that we're to keep. We even have ordinances in the New Testament church. What is it? We have baptism and the Lord's Supper. We call them ordinances. In this case, they changed the ordinances. So it's saying that these folks had, in changing the ordinances, what was once considered right was now wrong. What was good was now evil. I think the Bible addresses that in Isaiah again, chapter 5, verse 20, when it says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, and put darkness for light and light for darkness, put, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You know what he's saying? It's a dangerous thing when people take it upon themselves to redefine God's word. That's a dangerous thing. Matter of fact, God warns us. And he reminds us that we're to ask for the old paths. In Jeremiah 6.16, it says, Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths, where it is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk therein. What? I had to have read that wrong because nobody would ever say that to God. Right? I mean, that's impossible, right? Wait, wait, let's see. Thus saith the Lord, God speaking, stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? 
<clears throat> last time I checked, the good way is much better than the bad way. If I'm going to get to a particular city in the United States of America, I want to go the good way, not the bad way. We have these GPSs now, and they're supposed to be telling us the good way. You know, they're supposed to tell us the fastest way, the the way with the least amount of traffic. And you know what? In many cases, I really appreciate those, and they're a wonderful tool. But every once in a while, they send me on the bad way. But boy, I tell you, the good way sure beats the bad way. And he goes on to say, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, hey, God's speaking, but they said, remember God's talking, but they said, remember God's sharing, but they said, we will not walk therein. You've never done that, have you? I've never done that for sure, right? I've never told God, I'm not doing it. But they did, right? Maybe I have done that. Hmm. Maybe you have. What I know for sure is that they did. Because the Bible tells us in the passage that they changed the ordinances. Sad thing to change God and His Word, try to change the Word of God. Hmm. Finally, note their scary situation. Oh, wait a second. I messed up. I skipped one, didn't I? They had broken the everlasting covenant. Now, a covenant is a mutual consent or an agreement of two or more persons. See, if I'm going to enter into a covenant, there has to be someone else or something else. In this case, a person. If, if I'm going to enter into a covenant, I need another person. And I'll say, oh, oh wait, Brother Cody, I want to enter into a covenant with you. It involves two people. Now, this covenant that was entered into by Israel was entered into with God. They entered into a covenant with God. And yet the Bible says they broke the everlasting covenant. They broke it. They didn't keep their end of the bargain. They chose to disregard the true and living God. And you know what they did instead? They embraced false gods. So bad did it get or become that they were ultimately sacrificing their own children on the altars of Molech. Literally killing their own children to appease a false god. I wonder how many of our children we're sacrificing to false gods today. I wonder how many of them that we're we're sacrificing as we tell them church isn't as important as sports. That your spiritual life isn't as important as your education. That getting good grades in school is more important than memorizing your memory verse. Uh, Let me say that one again. I think I hit a a, a crazy bone there. Well, let it just suffice. I think it took took root. I'm going to tell you something. You do your children a very bad, you do a horrible disservice to your children when you don't require them to memorize the scriptures. How, How pitiful is it when the bus children know their verses better than the church kids? You say, you sound upset. You know, it bothers me when God's people don't care what God has to say and that it's not as important for their children to be spiritually strong as it is for them to be worldly strong. That bothers me. Yeah, it does. Because, see, you know what? Nobody will go to hell for not having an education, but you will go to hell for not knowing the Lord. 
<clears throat> I think that's a little more important. Although I think you can have both. I really do. I'm convinced of it. You don't have to sacrifice the education to have Christ, but let me tell you something. I watch a number of people sacrifice him for the education. I'm getting a lot of amens. This is really good now. We're almost done. We've got to get done because of time, okay? So I know that's been a blessing to you. But notice the scary situation. Their scary situation. In Isaiah 24, 12, we're in Isaiah 24. Look what it says in verse, well, look what it says in verse 12. In the city is left desolation, and the gate is smitten with destruction. In verse 17 of that same chapter, fear and the pit and the snare are upon thee, O inhabitant of the earth. Wow. That's a scary situation they find themselves in. I mean, what we're finding is, is, is in this particular case, they are smitten with destruction. They're left desolate. They're, they're fearful. They're bound by snares. What a sad state of affairs this is. I mean, we see their sad state. We noted their specific sin. We note their scary situation. And then we come upon our passage. In the midst of all of that confusion, in the midst of all of that sin and degradation, in the midst of the mess that they, as a nation, find themselves in, we are given this promise. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. The darkest period of Israel's history. I mean, I think this passage should prove to be a real special help to each of us, seeing how we are surrounded today by so much gloom and doom overwhelmed with so much stress and anxiety, seeing how we're constantly threatened with the enemies of doubt, fear, and worry. Boy, we need this passage, don't we? See, when everything's going well, let's be honest, when the skies are sunny, flowers are blooming, you know, it's easy somewhat to kind of skim over this passage. We're reading through our Bible in a year and right past it. But when the clouds of trial come, when disappointment, fear, and alarm drift across the sky, when the clouds of trouble seem to be gathering, that passage right there means a whole different, it means something totally different to us. Boy, this is one of those passages that in the front of your Bible, you write, when times get tough, go to. Isaiah 26, 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. You say, my life is a mess. Things are just chaotic and confusing. The fact is, is that I can't find rest. There's no peace in my life. I want you to know there's hope for you. That hope's not found in a better job. It's not found in a better spouse. That peace isn't found in, in better circumstances or situations. You know what it's found in? A person. The Lord Jesus Christ. It's found in a focus. Not this way, but this way. Amen. See, he says, 
Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. And when I say not this way, but this way, we're not talking about your eyes. We're talking about your mind as we're going to see here. Because see, what you think about and how you think will determine how you feel. And God wants you to experience perfect peace. I want you to know there's hope today. It's found in him, Jesus Christ. I'm not saying it's something that comes easy, because I think we all war with that, having peace in our lives at times. You get a bad phone call, a horrible phone call, bad news from the doctor. We hear of tragedy striking. We run into financial distress. We have relational issues. And may I say that it is easy to find ourselves feeling anything but perfect peace. But we can find it. And we can, contain, we can maintain it if we will follow the prescription that God sets here. If our minds, as he says, will remain stayed on him. Keeping them on him. Thinking and focusing on him. He is the key to peace in our life. Nothing, no one else but him, the Lord Jesus Christ.